Understanding Taste, an interview with Gwendolyn Graff, aka Gumologist, food scientist, and real-life Willy Wonka. In this exclusive interview, we uncover the mysteries of the human palate to learn how our taste perception from a biological level affects our decision-making and overall well-being. Learn why your flavor preferences matter and what it means for your health from one of the foremost experts in the field. Dive deep into understanding taste with Gwendolyn Graff. I'm excited to have you here today on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and you're about to go on a wellness driven ride. the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Hey, I'm so excited to have you here today. If you're joining us during the live, make sure you put your comments in so we can answer them with our incredible guests. And I normally do a biography for my guests, but this person wears so many hats that I'm going to bring her in right away. And she is going to tell you all about herself. So it, it is with great pleasure to introduce Gwendolyn. Hey. Hi. Hi, April. How are you? I'm great. It's so fun to have you here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. I, when I first met you, we were so engaged in conversation because you, you're incredible with all of the information and knowledge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts, 
We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. ...that you have and all of the things that you've done. So why don't you start by introducing yourself? Sure. Okay. So my name is Gwendolyn. Um, I am one of six kids. And I mentioned that because I do feel like my childhood and upbringing had a lot to do with kind of who I kind of became as an adult. And uh, so I, I'm one of six and there was three boys and three girls. So because of the way that we were, or the time period that we were brought up, it was like we were the Brady Bunch, but we weren't a blended family. So I'm the oldest girl, Marsha, 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 Marsha. <laughs> and, um, but I had a really creative father and um, I have to, my mom was creative too. I can't give her no credit, but uh, my father kind of instilled in us to like make everything. And I didn't even know it at the time, but when I was growing up, I was just being raised to be creative and uh, I constantly got that feedback throughout my uh, professional life. You're so creative. You're so creative. And I think it wasn't probably until my forties that like, I realized I must something, why do they keep saying that? Doesn't, isn't everybody, doesn't everybody like think like that? And uh, so a little bit of background, I went to college and I studied science. So I'm a scientist. So I have degrees in chemistry and biology and I, um, then went on to grad school in a chemistry position and I was uh, doing a PhD, my PhD work and I went to work at a lab where I tested hazardous waste and recycling like sources kind of for environmental waste hazardous recycling. Um, and then my family was moving and so I looked for a new job and it was in the food industry. And that's kind of what kind of drove my career into this direction. And so I ended up working at a kid's candy company and became a bubblegum expert. And I was doing research on uh, and making new products. And that was just a really fun and fascinating time in my life because uh, we would create about 23 new products a year. So almost like one every two weeks we would launch because kids are really fickle. And mm. so they always wanted something new. And so it was just like, I mean, some of them were truly new and some of them were like, you know, kind of a same thing in a new package. And, but they're always kind of something new on the side. So it was really fun. We got to test with kids. Uh, we, you know, we took our products to kids and we paid them in candy. So like, it was just like a really kind of, you know, fun, like life. Everybody's always like, what? You like do bubble gum? And then um, that company was wholly owned, but it got bought. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up being, it was part of Wrigley. And so uh, then I went into other food, but um, not other food, I mean gum. And, and I, that's kind of my 
biggest area of what they call an SME, a subject matter expert. So I'm a, a gumologist, as you've thanked it. But um, I, yeah, food science was like almost totally opposite than the environment hazardous waste recycling industry. I remember being like head to toe in protective equipment and, you know, heaven for, you know, no food allowed in the lab versus I now I'm in a kitchen basically where you like, you taste everything that you make. So it was kind of a very fun transition or way to have science. And because we were creating so many new products, I um, early on, before it was even really kind of a field that I would kind of consider the design industry now. But at the time, this was like 25 years ago, at the time, that wasn't a thing. You didn't get a degree in design. And uh, so, but we would have ideation sessions and brainstorming facilitations. And so I would go to these and they'd be like, you're really good at this. And so I started facilitating them. And that became a lot of my job really was to facilitate. And I would, even within Wrigley, go all over the country and facilitate ideation sessions. And then I'd be one of those people behind the one-way mirror where we'd make these like candy prototypes and then you watch and see how people are reacting to them and try to figure out what to do differently about them and do ethnography studies where you'd like go into people's homes in India or China and try to figure out what um, products could like enhance their life. So wow. it was it was a really fun career. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> like you're not only here in the U.S., but you went and explored other cultures. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you can explain a little bit because I know this, but like things taste different when you're in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when your diets are different, even you have you experience taste in a different way. So that must have been fascinating to be able to explore that and, you know, must have been good reason. And that's exactly it. And I think that's like, like largely why I ended up kind of giving a lot of talks. I gave a lot of keynotes on how we taste because of exactly that. Like for instance, in the UK, they're really into a flavor black currant. And as a US person, black currant is not a flavor that I would be like, oh, yum. And like, I would kind yeah. of describe it as like, Stinky gym socks with grape, you know. <laughs> this is That's not a, a great description. <laughs> this is not a description of something that you'd be like, oh, yum. So, as a product developer, you have to kind of put your own taste to the back, and you just have to mm -hmm. describe something. I I have to deal with flavorists a lot on the phone, and you talk about notes. It's very similar to a sommelier, like you're you're talking about notes of flavors, yeah. and you you kind of strip it down to just the pieces of something, and to that end, I was gumologist or working on gum, and if I don't, most people haven't tasted gum base, but it's pretty innocuous. It doesn't taste like anything. And uh, so you've got to build all of those things back into the food product that you're making. Mm. And because of that, you really do have to think about what people are perceiving as they're actually tasting a product. And so it started when I just like, um, well, I, I teach, I teach a course at the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, in the summers um, on candy and gum, more specifically the gum portion of it. And then I've been doing that for like 15 years. And then I also was ending up doing a lot of training within the company on gum from whether the Mars family came in, whether, yeah, I, I don't want to drop names, but big people would come in or school kids would come in or we would go to the Museum of Science and Industry and give a presentation. And um, all of those kind of culminated. And I was giving this presentation that uh, I imparted this like 
it's called an unconference at Google. And, uh, and I was giving this presentation and they're like, could you come and do this at this conference? And there's this one conference it was on, it was called Solid and it was on IOT, which is the internet of things. And so as much as I'm in the food science, I'm also in a, I was kind of like a technology. I just like make, make connections because that's kind of what my brain does is make connections. And, uh, yeah, I was so surprised at such a technical conference that the stuff that I was talking about, it really, I thought I would be a total outlier. And it really, so when you gave your your opening thing and you talked about the environment and health and, um, but you also talked about spirituality and you talked about, you know, intelligence. And I do feel like so much of it is all just intertwined. Like it's mm -hmm. hard to say anything is one thing. And uh, that this taste talk that, you know, we can go into a little bit more, uh, really just kind of resonated because everybody tastes and it's something we don't think that much about. And uh, so over not the only, course of my career, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say not only that, but it's, it's tied to emotions. Yes. You know, when we taste something, it can bring back memories and emotions mm -hmm. that, you know, you never thought were going to come up. Out. And so a yeah. lot of it's tied into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the funny, the thing in this is where I, I don't, it's not that I'm trying to catch my audience, but I often do, um, is that I break down taste because it's, it's, there's lots of different um, cranial nerves that feed your brain. And the title that I kind of have for the talk that I usually give is called How We Taste a Brain Teaser. Mm -hmm. Because everybody thinks we taste in our mouth and like that's where the food is located, but it actually like feeds wires all into your brain from different angles and your brain puts them together and then feeds back your information of what it is you're tasting. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the semantic language that we use around taste is technically not accurate so like when i'm in any one of these presentations i'll like correct people on their language but um i'm not really trying to be like you know a little you know school marm i'm just uh trying to get them to have the distinction such and i'll, I'll just kind of jump to this one um we only have five tastes uh, there's only five tastes that our, our tongue or the taste buds that are within our tongue can taste and uh so I'm going to, I'm going to quiz you and it's not just dumb for you, but do you know what the five tastes are? Oh, you are quizzing me. So, uh, <laughs> sweet, bitter, mm -hmm. uh, tart, Sour. or was that, mm -hmm. is that yeah. bitter? Yep. Oh, That's I got it right. Yeah. Okay. Tart. Yeah. Um, Sour. I know there's one I can't pronounce. It's like, umami. Umami. That's umami. the one that most nobody gets. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then I can't remember. The other salty, 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 salty. salty. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of times I'll go through these five tastes and I, um, yeah, I, I, I talked to you a little bit about this when we met that those five tastes are, they're like biological bouncers for our body. And mm -hmm. we don't think so much about taste being functional to our survival, but it really is. So yeah. we very much taste sweet because you need energy for your body to actually go. So usually when I'm like in a presentation, let me see, I, I usually, I'll come with like a packet. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big packet person. So when I do a presentation and this first keynote that I, that I gave in San Francisco, it was like 2000 packets. So I had to go there ahead of time and like pack out 2000 packets. And uh, it just has like sugar, you know, for the sweet. And of course everybody's tasted sugar. So it's not that I, I don't think you have, but just so that you can remember it, but, um. The funny thing about sugar is it's actually warm. 
And because I'm an agum mm. scientist, we use a lot of sugar-free sugars and they're cold. They, um, they actually mm. steal heat from your body when they melt. So um, they're endothermic, wow. they take in heat and uh, sugar, when it melts, it actually gives off heat. So it's exothermic. In fact, the first time that I went to Japan, they have this kind of uh, a candy that one side is sugar and the other side is is sugar free. So you can kind of flip it upside down and oh, it'll cool. be like warm and then it'll be cold. And uh, wow. it's a yeah. So that's kind of funny. But um, but even when babies are um, infants, you know, mother's breast milk is sweet um, yeah. and they very much you are hardwired as a, like a human being to want something sweet because yeah. um, it gives you energy. And it's why like runners carb load and everything because you need it. It's like the gas tanker fuel for our body. So mm. that one is very functional and a very craver. And then um, sour, sour is not. <laughs> sour is like a warning. And I, I often put up a picture on a slide when I when I have sour. So I'll, I'll give people, um, a, I often put in the packet, this little uh, citric acid. And actually I've come to love this citric acid because I, uh, it's actually, it's called, uh, here I'm doing a promo. I'm not really, I have nothing to do with this company. True Lemon. And I've just found out they make it in grapefruit and orange. I'm so excited. Ooh because I put this in my water. It doesn't have any sugar. And it's like a great kind of water enhancer. So anyway, I'll have them try true lemon, um, but sour, and I'll have them kind of pay attention to their faces because when people eat something sour, they they do this. Yeah. Right? It's like an immediate <laughs> reaction. Immediate. And if you think about what that's actually doing, you probably don't, but close your mouth and get away. Right? Like that yeah, is you're actually like, what no you're more. doing. No yeah. more. Because things that are sour are usually not ripe. So they're not ready to eat or they've gone off, you know, milk goes ah, sour, yeah. bad things go sour. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, of course, mix them with, you know, make lemons into lemonade, mix them with sugar yeah, and they so taste good. I'm curious yeah. for my own, because we have things like lemons and, yeah. and grapefruit and everything and so many things, but yet that's not bad for us. It doesn't harm us. So why is that? Well, we add sugar to them to make them much more palatable, right? And, you know, acid is is good, but, you know, you wouldn't want to have too much of it. In fact, most of our body is acidic. Um, so it's good, but it, it does, it, it catches you aware, right? You know, you're mm. just like, whoa, check. And actually, I think of the whole human body almost as a sensor um, because mm. it's, it's not really to keep you from doing something. It's to make you like suddenly aware and make sure that you want to do this thing. Um, and so ah, I feel like sours like that. It's like, whoa, you know, oh, I like yeah. that kind of yeah. slow down and, and consider. Yeah. And I, I'll come back to the sensor thing because we have a very, another sense that is very much about sensing, I think. And then, um, so sour and, and then we have salt and, you know, Everywhere we say, like, don't have salt, you know, because we have a lot of salt in our diet and we're lucky as a nation. But, you know, if we had an apocalypse, one of the first things that people go and like defend is the salt mines, you know, because in fact, um, I have a my mom has horses and uh, there's only they need hay, water and salt. That's yeah. all they need to survive. Wow. <laughs> um, but if they don't have a salt, like they'll get sick because um, salt. Do you, do you know what salt is, what it does? like in your body? Uh, no, you'll have to explain that to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> so our, 
I, I'm going to say that for our audience's sake. Okay. Okay. <laughs> salt is like, and so we have all of our body's cells and we're, a, we're like mostly water, like a little shy yeah. of 80% water. Right. And uh, our cell membranes, they have these little channels that let things in and out. And in these channels are these little like, um, it's like a, a, a lock in like a river and it lets salt in and it lets salt out. It's called the sodium potassium pump. And you need salt because it moves salt in and wherever the salt goes, then the water comes, right? And then it moves salt out and then the water goes out in order to you know, get a p potential balance. You know, uh, it's we've heard a lot of this called um, um, osmosis, osmosis, water moves yeah. to make a balance. And um so anyway, uh, it's almost like what I call the traffic lights, you know, like the salt guides the traffic of where everything moves in your body. And so you need it. You need it. We have a lot of it. So, you know, we don't we don't actively try to get it all the time, but you definitely need salt or you will die. So uh, salt's a really See, I needed one. you to explain that because yeah. you that was a really cool way of explaining salt. Mm hmm. Yeah. So salt is one of those ones that it's like, it is, you need it. It's like, it's there for you to like, like live. <laughs> it's one of the livers. And uh, so, and then you have, you have bitter, you mentioned bitter. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, of course, I, I, what I will say about these five tastes is if you like to cook, the more of these tastes that you add into whatever you're cooking, like I think of like Chinese restaurants and they have like hot and sour soup. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's got some salt. It's got some sour. It's got some umami from mushrooms and things. The more of these five that you put into your recipe, the more interesting, like whatever you're making is because you're mm. kind of innervating all over the place and uh but but bitter in general we reject bitter you know and so i usually put a, a, a picture of a kid and he's kind of like going like throwing up you know because <laughs> if you have bitter things they'll make you throw up because that is like the body's reaction to like spit them out because yeah. unlike sour sour you can take bitter things often they're often toxic um, and that's why in the pharmaceutical industry, a lot of our drugs have coatings on them. You know, all of our, our little pills have like little candy shells and things yeah. on them because we're trying to bypass them. And it's why you swallow them. You don't chew your, your, your medicines because if you yeah. did, they taste bad or like syrups, we put them in lots and lots of sugar to overcome the bitter because we have almost a gag reflex that if that bitter gets triggered, get it out, like yeah. eject it. Yeah. And we hire people called doctors. <laughs> we pay them lots of money to give us doses of bitter things, but in very small amounts that will affect us, usually by, you know, hurting us in a good way, or we'll drink coffee in the morning. But even coffee, you know, it does stuff to us. <laughs> um, uh, so bitter things are a pretty good indicator that it, it's going to affect your body in, in some way. So our body rejects it for the most part. Yeah. And then that that last one, the fifth the fifth taste, and this is the one that you got, but uh, most people I get stumped on it is uh, is called umami, umami. and uh, yeah, and just until about a hundred years ago, um, it, it wasn't that known in the West. It was it's been known in the Asian cultures for years, you know, hundreds of years, but um, it's only kind of been embraced by the the Western civilization in the last about a hundred years, and it is the flavor of people describe it as the flavor of um, like bacon or mushrooms, 
it really, it's the flavor of protein, um, mm. amino acids, yeah. amino acids make a protein. And, um, and a lot of times you'll see it in Chinese restaurants, although it has bad PR. Um, it, a lot of times they'll, they'll put in something called MSG. Have you heard of MSG? Mm -hmm. Monosodium yep. glutamate, which is the salt of glutamine, which is one of your, your amino acids. And, um, yeah, and it gives you this kind of puckering, brothy kind of flavor, um, and it's it's delicious and savory things. It's it's a delicious way to kind of really make some food like much more rich and just kind of satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but when I think about those five tastes, I I often like put them on a slide, and I'll put the three: so sweet, salt and umami. And I, I say that they're the recipe. So I'll put those in the in the category of live because you need them to live. And then the other two, sour and bitter, I'll put in another in another um, bracket. And I'll say they're to not die. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's three to live and there's three to not die. And the three to live, the sweet, the the uh, salty and the umami are basically the recipe for chicken soup. So when we're sick, it's kind of like we inherently know what it is we need because you need this, the sweet or the noodles or the carbs to have energy. Mm, you need yeah. salt to make sure that your body can move everything around that it needs to in order to help, you know, get your antibodies and everything pumping where they need to hit. And then, um, yeah, then you need the umami to rebuild your muscles and your proteins uh, so that you can heal. So that's kind of, that's kind of my taste gig. Yeah. yeah that makes perfect sense. Life. Yeah. You know, like health, well-being, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and so, so fascinating. I, I love the science behind this. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I know that you are, are going to share so much more. We're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, I definitely want to hear more. Stay tuned. Okay. Cool. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Jacobs, the host of The Kim Jacobs Show. And you all know who's right here with me, Dr. Les Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? I'm blessed and highly favored. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time you want to give yourself a competitive edge. If you got a message, you have some knowledge or experience, a story, or if you want to do something adventurous and exciting with your life that can increase your credibility, expose you to millions of people, I'm encouraging you to have your own talk show. I used to have a talk show. That one talk show catapulted me to another level. Now there are more people watching the internet, as you are aware, than television. Yes. Come on, somebody. That's right. After Kim Jacobs, she trained people on how to have their own talk show. She will train you how to do that. And now with me working, partnering with her, now you have the combination of an audience, expansive audience. We have over 4 million people in all of our platforms and the coaching you need to grow your business, to grow your multi-level marketing organization to draw more attention to yourself in this noisy economy. Go ahead, Kim. So in the training that I do, Les, I actually do a six-week training. It's one hour per week. And each week I meet with the individuals one-on-one. -on -one. We go through and we talk about all of the things that's necessary for a show to become a reality. We go from how to actually identify your focus area, 
what's going to be your ideal customer that's going to be tuning in. We'll talk about how to get guests, how to get sponsorship, how to go about getting your lighting, your branding, and your banners, and everything that you need to know. And guess what, Les? They right. own their own content at the end of the day. And that's exciting. Now, if you're ready to, to, to create a shift in your business and in your life and increase your cash flow, I want you to go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. It's right there on the screen. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. Right. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to Kim Jacobs consulting.com. That's Kim Jacobs consulting.com. Did I say Kim Jacobs consulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. That's my story. And that's Kim's story. And we're sticking to it. Bye for now. Here we are. Welcome back. And so Gwendolyn, you talking about, you know, the tastes and the five different tastes and, you know, the three that are, you know, for, you know, living and then the other two for not dying. This is all such fascinating stuff. And we can go into them a little bit more if you want, or we can jump into something different, your choice. But I, I just think it's really fascinating. Yeah, no, I have a little bit more to kind of share because it's just that the, the reason is that it's something everybody does. And I don't think we spend much time thinking about it. And what's more interesting is, you know, I was obviously in the field and we'd have these experts come in as a human race. We don't know that much about it. You would be surprised how much we don't understand about how like the, how we taste and even to this day, it's kind of cutting edge that they're like learning that there's kind of versions of sweet tastes and that people taste differently. Um, you know, I, I happen to be a super taster. And uh, mm. so I'll taste something and it's not the same way you would taste it. And uh, there's, it's there, it's balanced more towards women who are super tasters. But I remember when I started my job at the bubblegum company and uh, I had to taste all the products and kind of write down like what I thought about them and kind of give a feedback loop on them. And uh, I was tasting this weird taste. And uh, that's when my mentor, um, she's, she was a wonderful lady. Um, and she, she said, we should test you for a super taster because I taste things that are blue and they taste like ham. Like that's one of my weird, <laughs> my weird things. But um, some people taste a grapefruit and it's sweet and some people taste a grapefruit and it's totally bitter. So um, mm -hmm. people don't taste the same. And I think you'd assume everything you eat, everybody else is, is perceiving the same way. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to note that everybody kind of has their own perception of things. Yeah, and, uh, well, I, really I want to dig more into that. I'm, I'm yeah. super curious about that. You know, yeah, if it's, you know, genetically or if it's yeah. the male, female, and if it's even, you know, I, I have done a little bit of research, but, you know, even the things that we've already been eating and surround ourselves with can change how we perceive things and change how we taste them. And, and I 
I did know that we taste differently because I know that we see differently, that we hear differently. You know, sometimes people see different colors and sometimes people hear differently. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a popular, uh, YouTube test that they did, but it's like, whether you hear the sound Laurel or, uh, Oh, I can't remember now, but it's, or wasn't there that like that dress and is like, is it blue and white or is yes. it like gray or and, and black or like same and, thing. And it took me the long or like those when you were kids and you saw the picture, is it a young woman or is it an old witch, you know? Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, there are so many things like that. And in like when you're looking at it, you're convinced that like everybody's experiencing the same thing you are. And that dress. Yeah, it took me a long time. I had to kind of do that. In the in the nineties, I think they had that thing called magic eye where you had to kind of like stare at this thing and then all of a sudden you saw this like, you know, some image would kind of like pop out of it. It was, do you remember these? Do you know what I I'm do. talking about? I yeah. do. Yeah. And uh yeah, like those have always been like fascinating. They're just kind of these like tricky things. Yeah. 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 Our perceptions are so different. And it was Yanny. It was either you heard the sound laurel or Yanny. Okay. And, you know, just like the picture, do you see the old woman or the young woman? It's like, and people, and, and the dress, is it blue or black? Mm -hmm. And um, people would just argue, right? Because you're like, I swear, this is how mm -hmm. I see it. This is how I hear it. This is how, you know, um, but yet for some wild reason, we truly do see, taste, hear everything perceived differently. I know. And then, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to like when I was in my forties and I was like, I was like, I don't understand why people keep saying I'm creative and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. And I was like, wouldn't anybody make that logical connection? You know, like in my head, it was like, well, obviously, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. I just happened to be the one to say it, but everybody was thinking it, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it, it, it like literally occurred to me like, no, they're not. You know, I had to like really kind of dig into like creativity. And a part of that is I just have been really lucky to have my foot in a lot of what I call ponds. Sometimes when we talk about um, brainstorming, it's about kind of knowing lots of ponds and then you kind of make un you you borrow from a different pond, you know, in order to make kind of a new in, innovation. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, I remember one time I was like talking about gum, like a, the sugar shell on gum, and I was equating it to a thermostat and plaster cracking in your new houses. And yeah, the quality guy was looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so anyway, that the but yeah, our perceptions are are really different, and I I think that helps all of us to kind of remember that. Um, and I am a big advocate. I try for my nieces and nephews. I have fifteen nieces and nephews, and I really try um, to give them broaden their experiences, whether it's take them to musicals or take them traveling. I have been so lucky to have been to like over thirty countries and. It really, mm -hmm. really um, shapes how you view life, yeah. and uh, everything becomes a lot grayer <laughs> because um, mm -hmm. what you think is so critical where you live, it, it becomes, you know, so questionable somewhere else based yeah. on their environment. So, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we could have a whole program on yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's it's amazing because as a gamologist. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And really having to cater to so many different tastes. You know, I don't think we really mm -hmm. think about that when we, you know, are 
cooking or creating and you know you're you're trying to appease the masses right on this is what I present to you I hope you like it and that it tastes good and it really it's going to taste differently to everybody but trying to create something for the market that is going to go across you know of the board and and I see why you went into different countries and were exploring you know what do they like what you know, what is their culture really, you know, geared towards and, you know, hitting a different audience. Yeah. Yeah. We would go in and we'd go shopping with them and we'd go into their house and we kind of just like observe their living. It's called ethnography. And if Mm. anybody ever gets a chance to do it, it's fascinating. I, of course, there's always the argument that by watching something, you change it, you know, and of course, if you're sitting in their living room, (laughs) it's likely that they're behaving a little bit differently than they normally would. So, um, but um, yeah, it is just fascinating because I have found, um, you know, we, we, that's like consumer work. We, it's like consumer marketing that, that we would, I would go with marketing groups. And um, a lot of times people do things and they don't even know they're doing them. Just like when you're eating and you're yep. tasting, you don't even know you're doing it. It's such a Habits. normal thing that you do. Yeah. And that sometimes those are like the biggest ahas that, you know, you reach when you start like, do you know that you're doing this? And uh, it's, it's so, you know, sub their conscious that you, uh, yeah, they, they don't know. And, uh, but if you can, if you can realize like why, and then you can like find other ways to achieve that thing or eliminate the need to do it, you know, they always, there was always this, uh, this question, like, what's the first thing you do in the elevator when you go into an elevator? Most everybody will say, push the button, right? Yeah. I (laughs) mean, the yeah, until you turn around. <laughs> oh, First right. You turn around. Well, yeah, you you look towards the door, like your exit. So, yes. like, what's my next positioning to? Right, right, yeah. and and so like I like we're constantly looking for things like that that you don't even recognize that you do. You're just so naturally uh-huh. used to doing them, and uh, like, yeah, can you design things to? Uh, not have to do that, you know, could elevators be walked yeah. through? I, not that that's important, you know, but uh, um, anyway, so it, it was, it's an interesting way to have to like, kind of look at life and kind of really observe human behavior. So, so I'm curious, you being a taste expert mm-hmm. um, and, you know, having to observe, you know, what people are are doing and thinking and how they experience, do you really concentrate on facial expressions? Now, do you consider yourself to be an expert in facial <laughs> expressions? Um, I, yes, I do watch their facial expressions, especially if I'm behind like a one-way mirror. You know, I'm definitely watching and, you know, sometimes we'll send questions into the facilitator, you know, to say, ask the person that, you know, back there because they made a, a face or something. But, um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't at all put myself in that category. I, I, as a scientist, I feel like instead I, I kind of am breaking it down into parts, um, that, you know, in this case to recreate it. Yeah. And, uh, but the whole perception thing I, I find fascinating being a super taster, like that sounds like it's a superpower and it's not actually, it makes me really deficient. Um, from being the average Mm. consumer because most people tasting something blue don't taste ham so i am not a good representation so i know that about myself it's the Mm. superpower that gives me like these extra abilities to taste things very extraordinarily 
but I know that that's not normal. And like, so I would not be the right person to be on your like consumer panel because I'm going to pick up things that most people aren't going to pick up. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm not the good representative in that scenario. However, I do see a future for you as a person who wears many hats. Mm -hmm. You know, I envision you, you know, helping you know, on a crime scene and you're really peering at those bad guys and making a decision on, okay, he's the culprit here mm -hmm. because you're so getting used to, or are, have been used to observing people. I mean, yeah. I think that you could use that skill in a lot of different ways. <laughs> That's funny. My husband, he says, he says, you would be a great detective because yeah. I do pick up on those things. I'm, I'm the worst person to watch a movie with. Like in the first five minutes, I was like, oh, well, they're going to get together and that person killed him and da, da, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the worst on that. But I, uh, yeah, no, I, I do like kind of look at life as like a bunch of clues, like we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's why I ended up doing a lot of speaking. I like to take complicated subjects and I like to kind of break them down into ways that people can understand them. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like that's why I ended up giving a lot of talks on this um, because it's a topic that just kind of covers. And there's a couple more things on taste I want to talk about, not just the perception. Um, the, the thing that is kind of obvious, but it's not obvious, is that everything we taste has to be soluble. Um, and I know that that doesn't sound like a big distinction, but uh, the way that um, the topography of our tongue is, it's actually really interesting. And when I would yeah. go into kids with school, I would have them like take a mirror and look at their tongue. And I'm not going to put my tongue out for you, you know, but I have them dye their tongue with a blue M&M <laughs> or a Skittle. I'll have them paint their tongue with a Skittle. And um, the taste buds don't actually die. They, they're little pink flecks. Um, and we have a bunch of them on the tip of our tongue. And then we have these like um, what almost look like cuts slashes along the sides of our both well, so sides of our tongue they're like striations mm -hmm. yeah. and inside down in the troughs of those um are taste buds in the troughs and then if you like stick out your tongue there's like this row of like donuts uh and they they you might like stick them out and go oh my gosh i have strep throat <laughs> but in reality they're a taste bud they, they look like donuts these like little like uh circles along the back and they have taste buds that are kind of embedded in the troughs um of that that skin fold and uh so the topography of our our, our tongue is actually like a mountain range like these all of these like mm -hmm. up and down and valleys and some of the a lot of our taste buds are located down in those valleys and so if we haven't dissolved the salt or the sugar or the, if you haven't dissolved it, it won't flow down into those valleys, mm. fill them up and come into contact with the taste pore, which then sends the, the nerve, the, um, to your brain, to your brain, you have, you know, cranial nerves and it innervates that. And then your brain gets the, it gets the ding. Oh, something sweeter. Oh, something saltier. Oh, yeah. something sour. And, um, so you have to dissolve it, which is why, which is why we, we salivate. So as soon as we start to yeah. eat, our body produces water to dissolve the food that we're going to choose so that it will fall down in the taste pores, fill them up, innervate so that we know whether or not we can accept it. It goes to our brain and it says spit it out or eat it or like it or don't. And um, it I, identifies kind of, and it's the combination of like the salt and the sour um, that tells your brain kind of what you're eating, but it's only one piece of information. And that's like the, the I think the most interesting thing about this. So Usually after I'm done talking about taste, also 
also, and this is a, a thing with older people, as your mouth gets dry, you know, dry mouth, and you don't have enough saliva, it's harder to taste. And we lose taste buds as we get older. So mm. I think um, that's also another thing to think about. Like you need to have water. And it's it's why we salivate when we're kind of getting ready to eat. Your body's like supplying you the water to, to, to dissolve it. And um, so consequently, like things like fat, we don't really taste fat. We feel it, the texture of it, but we don't taste it because it's not soluble. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then usually like after like I kind of talk about the taste and the five tastes and then uh, the solubility and the, the oh, the other part is our tongues because we have these like these dots along the tip, these like side things. We have the like row of circles in the back. Um, there's this long held belief and it's in all of the science textbooks that we teach to our kids that there's this theory called labeled lines that the like tip ones are for sweet and the side ones are for sour and the back ones are for bitter. So that you, when you gag and you throw it up, it won't let it pass the, the, the circle ones. Um, and it's called label lines. And it, it's uh, it, the thought is that each of the taste buds only can taste for one thing, you know, sweet and sour in the middle is so, but that's totally not true. Like the absolute, what I call it cutting edge is that every taste bud can taste for all five tastes and it all can send a message of whichever taste to the taste, to the, to the brain. Um, that is fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like it's, it's funny because all of our textbooks like basically teach the non-truth, <laughs> but uh, most people just yeah. don't know it. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because of the different topography of like where they're located, it kind of makes sense that we've just like made the connection. Oh, that must be because they're different and they're, they're not, but they're kind of at different depths and in different trenches and stuff. So then usually after I talk about these five tastes, that's not it at all. That's not the end of it because I always say that your tongue sucks, you know, you can taste five things and that's it. And that's really just to keep you alive. Um, but if I had you blindfolded and I plugged your nose and I gave you, um, well, I'll usually put like a flavor of a gum or something and I'll say like, what, what flavor is this? And it'll be a strawberry gum and every, or I'll say, what does this taste like? And everybody in the audience will say strawberry. <laughs> and I'll say, no, I just told you, you can't taste strawberry. That wasn't one of the five, <laughs> you know, strawberry tastes. And this is where I get semantic. Strawberry tastes sweet and strawberry tastes a little bit sour. Mm, yeah. That's, it. That's yeah. it. And so does a blueberry and so does an apple and so does a grape and so does everything that's in the fruit category. So consequently, if I plugged your nose and I blindfolded you and I mashed all those things up, they technically, for the most part, taste the same. So is so, that how part of how you were trained when you started learning how to, you know, separate and distinguish what things tasted like? Did Were you taught to exactly what you just taught us. Like I, I have to only use these five categories of explanation. A little bit because like in our descriptive panels, like we have groups and we train consumers or like specialists that come in and they have to rate things. And like, and I, you know, I've been on these panels where we're given a, a, a Kool-Aid, like a, a a sugar solution. And then we have to say like, is this a four? Is this a six? Is this a one on like how sweet it is? And oh, you wow. like, they, they make you almost into a, a taste computer, like to be able to like everybody on the panel, when you get a, you know, 4%, you know, sugar solution, you're going to rate it a two, you know, like, <laughs> and when yeah. you get a 10%, you're going to rate it a six. And my percentages might be off, but the whole point is you keep getting trained and trained until you all 
rate it the same so that then I can feed you a piece of candy or a piece of gum or a piece of, you know, anything. And you all would similarly give me the same sweetness level because then we can give a panel um, any one of our products and we can decide whether or not what we did to it made it sweeter or made it more bitter or less bitter or yeah. So we absolutely do get trained on that um, in that sense. But um, it, but it is a funny thing because we don't always think about things just like on this level, because the, this is the, the funny one. I, and most people don't talk about this, but the other part is flavor and flavor. Like we have flavor companies and, you know, until I was in the industry, I didn't really put this together, but most of our flavor companies are flavor and fragrance companies. They make perfumes yeah. and flavors. And um, that's because flavor isn't a taste. It's a smell. And oh, yeah. so I call flavor food perfume. Like that's how I've just decided to like emphasize it. It's food perfume. Um, and like a lot of times when I have a group, I'll have them. And part of the reason I'll give them sugar, I'll have them do what I call, uh, I'll call this the Skittle parlor trick. And it's, it's a, it's a fun one to do. I, I give them all a little bag of Skittles. And then I tell them, plug your nose and I really plug it and close your eyes. And then, you know, pour the Skittles out in front of you and, and with your eyes closed and you're, you know, chew it and you'll you'll notice you chew and you taste sweet and you taste some sour but it's not until you open up your nose and you add the the scent in that you'll know whether you picked an orange one or a red one or a purple one or a green oh, one oh yeah because the smell and that's a, that's that's an it's a gas it's it's a scent it's an aroma <laughs> it is not a taste and it, what it, you um you of course have two nostrils in the front of you but the biology of um you also have a, a back sinus that um the gases as you're chewing the food they emit from the food particles and they go up the back into your olfactory glands which have your olfactory nerves which is another nerve that feeds your brain and so your brain is getting that and the nose is a rock star your nose can just between like 10,000 different scents. Wow. It is really amazing. And so earlier, the tongue sucks and the nose is a rock star. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. And earlier you said, you know, like taste is so affiliated with memory and that is why it's the yeah. scents. And that mm. is why in the perfume industry, scents are like so named after emotions, right? You know, you have love and, you know, yeah. I, I beautiful yeah. and like, all of the um the scents all have these like joy and you know emotive words because your smell is very very linked to memory like i can smell a certain smell and think of my grandma or you can yeah. kind of put yourself back to a beach or um they can be really polarizing smells can be really polarizing because they're really emotive and uh so the smell uh the scent the food perfume is the uh, is a whole nother level because it is actually your olfactory nerve so your 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 glossopharyngeal nerve which is the one that does your taste buds it's innervated with like sweet and sour and salt and then you're also getting this olfactory nerve that says this is a strawberry you know and yeah. that's putting it together and uh that's what your what your brain is is and then there's a third one and <laughs> and the the third piece that i well there's actually a fourth one but the third one is a, a thing called trigeminal have you heard of trigeminal 
I don't think so. Mm. So you also have a trigeminal nerve in your mouth, and that is what can detect between things that are hot and cold. Oh. And because I am in the, the gum industry, and a lot of them are mint, and we go for cool, you know, and like ice cubes and refreshing. And, so. and then we the have warm from the sugar. And the warm from the sugar. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it can detect a trigeminal sense are like hot and cold. And so like, I'll sometimes ask like a students, I'll say, describe salsa and like, what a, you know, they'll say like, what are the tastes? And they'll be like spicy. I was like, no, spicy is a trigeminal because it's like a burning. So yeah. So like, Mm -hmm. that is a, that's a whole nother aspect of something. So once you put all of those together, so like salsa would taste salty, that's probably mostly what it would taste like. Maybe a little sweet if it was a mango salsa, but it was mostly salty. And then it smells like tomato or smells like onion, which are aromatic. And then, you know, it's got the spicy of the trigeminal. So like you have to put all of those things in. That's a whole nother nerve that goes into your brain is the trigeminal nerve, which because of the word it's three, tri, it has three parts where it like it, it ends, but it one of the, that's going to your brain and giving you that indication. Of wow. course, then there's also the feeling, you know, like if like fat, you the texture, that's another nerve that like gives the kind of the texture of something like if you bite into an apple and it's crisp versus mm-hmm. biting into an apple and it's like mealy, you know, like it really, really affects whether or not you like this apple. Um, and that's another nerve. And then, of course, you can hear it. You can hear like the chewy, uh, yeah. you know, that it's cracking. So that's another nerve that's with your ears. So your brain is getting all of this stimulus from all of these nerves and putting it together and deciding, is this a favorable experience? Is this something I recognize? Is this something I like? Is this something I keep? Is this something good for me? Do, do, do you kind of see? It's crazy. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. So much goes into it. There's so much science behind it. And, yeah. you know, when I think about, you know, just the pure enjoyment and how much we receive in the act of eating mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, what it means to us, you know, on all levels, spiritually, mentally, uh, all of that physically, um, we get so much from the simple act of eating and what we eat and how we relate to it and what we relate it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's almost become entertainment. You know, I I come from the food industry. So I like have so many friends that are like foodies and we like love to go to these like expensive restaurants and we'll have, you know, a meal and it'll take like three and four hours, you know. But uh, yeah, my husband has a very different viewpoint. He's like food is nutrition. You don't have to enjoy it. You should eat berries and nuts because that's what's good for you. (laughs) Eat the orange peel because it has good, you know, like good oils in it. I'm going look, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I, I think, and because we're, you were so, you know, blessed. Yeah. On some levels, food has become a form of entertainment, you know, that like it, it is so, it can be so intriguing, you know, versus just nutritive. Um, uh, and you know, so you talked a little bit about how all of it really is just so intertwined and intertangled, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, our health and wellness and spirituality and all of that. Can you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm. Well, you know, I, because, you know, 
this is just food and this is just your mouth just to taste, but it's really to make your body well, right? I, I mean, your yeah. body's accepting or rejecting things to make it well. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's why I just think everything has been connected. And I am, um, you know, when I first met you, we were talking a little bit about like wellness and usually as a candy chemist, like people don't consider me the highest wellness person, right? you know, um, but <laughs> I, I'm, I kind of take it to a level of kind of just understanding and I just trying to really think about what's happening. But um, I, I will say it has very much opened me. I, I mean, I go to a doctor, of course, I, you know, but I, I really do kind of think that there is a lot to learn uh, just about paying attention to our body and paying attention to it. I remember my, my uncle, he was always told, don't eat salt. You're having too much salt. And then like, he went into the hospital and they're like, you need more salt. Like, you know, and I was like, your body was craving salt. Like sometimes listen to it. Yeah. And, uh, so I was really, I was really lucky. Um, I lucky, I don't, I, I had a sciatic nerve problem and, uh, you know, I was, I was in my corporate life and there was times that I have to get up and give a presentation and I'd be sitting there and going like, I'm not sure if it's going to spasm and I'm going to be able to stand up. And uh, we had like three days off at Thanksgiving or whatever. And I was like, I have got to do something. It had been months where I was like putting wedges on my bed, trying to like sleep in a different position, hoping a miraculous I'm going to wake up and something's going to be unpinched or something. And I, um, I was like, I've got to do something. This is the definition of insanity, you know, like expecting yeah. something to change. So yeah. I ended up looking up a masseuse, who, you know, who said she was a healer. And I do, I do think she, she's just was a wonderful influence in my life. And uh, I really started to do a lot of more preventative health is what I would call it. And it was yeah. some of the simplest things, but I went to her three days in a row and, and it was solved something I had been suffering for months. And she just kind of got at the heart of it by just like feeling the body and figuring out what the body and like, I, I can pin it down to a, a moment where she had like, she hit one thing and then all of a sudden something in my back was going, I Oh, that's like, you know, and she held those two and like, I could feel something untwist in my body. And, mm. and like that really opened up for me, like, whoa, like, and it was the simplest, some of the simplest things, like every time I'd come in and I would just started to schedule a massage a month, you know, just to be like, I'm going to just make sure this doesn't happen again. And, yeah. um, and it was it's something so simple, but like you're in a rush and you, you know, you got to get there and you have an appointment time and, you know, you get in the room and you're getting ready and, you know, and the first thing she would say is, how are you? And of course we're used to just like, oh, I'm fine, you know, and, uh, but then I'd have to really sit there and think, I'd be like, oh, cause you've, you've made all of your pains, like just be ex persistent, you know, you're just like, okay, well, I'll just limp a little to avoid that ankle that's hurting or something. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so it really made me start to pay attention and just be like, remember, your ankle's hurting, you're, you're giving something, you're doing something to compensate, but remember to tell Michelle, you know, and uh, um, anyways, she, she did, there was a couple things. And usually when I talk, um, well, when I'm with like friends, these are, these are two things that I just highly recommend from a wellness standpoint of kind of trying to pay attention to your body and understanding. And uh, I, I think I, I shared this with you in like the interviews is, is these little things, <laughs> these are, are called cups. And I first experienced them when I was in China and we would go, you'd get a massage and they'd put cups there. They were like fish bowls and they'd like light mm -hmm. a lighter and like flame to create a vacuum. And they'd like suck them on it. And I, I think I had like purple rings all over my back for like a week in China. Um, but I, these are silicone and they, you can just do them by squeezing down. And so they create a suction. And so, um, 
And I like them because if I go swimming, I, I'm going to take a little smaller size because I'm doing it in my arm. Um, if I go swimming, I'll often put these on. I just push down and then like go like this. And and then it, it it's, uh, oh, it just popped off because I'm on such a round part. But uh, it, it's like that. It's sucking. And, and um, I'll put them like on my shoulders or if I have a knee, I'll put them around my knee and I'll go swimming with them because they're obviously waterproof. Wow. And everybody's like, what do you have on you? <laughs> and I, I feel like this is an Asian thing, although we started to see it, I think, at like some of the recent Olympics, you would see like these circles on, on athletes. And, you know, I think they became some of those little interest stories. Um, but what I think is so fascinating about these guys is that um, usually massage, we push and you push things out of the area, you know, and it helps with circulation and stuff. But this yeah. actually is a vacuum. So it creates space for things to come to that area. So it's almost like the opposite. And of course, there's total places for massage, but I feel like this is a whole nother thing. So there would be times, oh, you can see it often does this. It makes like um, circles. Let's see, is that showing on there? I don't know. If yeah. There's, there's a circle right here. And it, and if you really have an injury, like a lot of times I'll put these on my shoulders. Um, like if I'm hunching, I'll just put them on my shoulders and I'll just, I'll just sit there like this. <laughs> People are like, what are you doing? But um, yeah, it really kind of helps your body. A lot of fluids come to that area. And this is so well known in the Asian world. And uh, yet we don't use it here. And it's such an easy thing to do that these, I, the, anybody who has injuries, I start putting cups on them. They all think I'm just a crazy woman. Um, and no, I other... love it. I think that so, you know, we really are starting to bring more of other cultures practices into, you know, that's why we're like a melting pot, right? Yeah. And, you know, but we're finding more and more of how these techniques really are helpful and useful. And so I think yeah. it's great and brilliant that you're bringing this up because it's just another aspect or something that we can explore you know, and I love how you described it. It's kind of the opposite effect of uh, a massage. Massage, you're kind of pushing and you're moving. And this is more like that vacuum where you're bringing two. Mm -hmm. So wonderful. Yeah. yeah, you're crazy. And this is the other one. And like, if I have like two wellness tips that have really, really, I feel like this is called KT tape. Have you ever used KT tape, April? I have not. Um, no. Yeah, it's, it's called... Kinesiology, 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 which is the science of movement, um, kinesthetic. Um, I've heard and, of it. Yes. Yeah, and a lot of physical therapists use it, but it's it's available like at Walmart or at Walgreens or whatever. And I tend to get it in big rolls because, uh, but you can also. KT is is like a brand name and they'll sell it in strips that are pre-done. This isn't one, but, and they're rounded, but I'll just take a scissors and I'll just cut it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of YouTube videos, but for the most part, it's really sticky. Um, it's really sticky like ace bandage. And so you, you tear the sticker that's on the back of it and you usually do something like this and you kind of pull it away because you're trying to not to touch the adhesive um, and they'll take you through this in, in YouTube. But then a lot of times the YouTubes will say, okay, if you're going to go put it across your knee and put it under your patella and stretch it, you know, like not a hundred percent, but like 50% and apply it and then put the ends. And then they'll say, now do one across. And here's th my insight on this one is it's almost like if you sprain your knee or sprain your ankle, and I've put this on my parents, I've put this on kids. Um, 
it's almost like giving yourself external ligaments um, or because your, your inside ones are stretched or hurt. And so you're reinforcing them on the outside. So this is kind of stretchy support material so that they can rest and they can heal. And it does wonders. It does wonders. I just, I don't know why everybody doesn't use it. I, I use it more than band-aids. <laughs> so um, yeah, you can use it on your back and your knees and your ankles on almost anything that's sore. There's going to be a KT, um, KT or KT tape uh, YouTube to watch on how to apply KT tape. And it usually stays on for a few days. You can wear it through the shower. That is one that you did see at the Olympics in the last couple of Olympics. A lot of people had, and they're usually in colors. They're like red and blue and black. And um, they sell it in like neutral, like skin tones too, but um, usually they're pretty colorful. And uh, so you you would see a lot of athletes having this on them. And uh, I just, I think that they're like these tools that are not well known or well used. And uh, since you're in a wellness show, I, I that those are some that I would just be like, check these out. I love that. Thank you so yeah. much for those tips and tricks. Yeah. I mean, they tr they truly are. And again, outside of the box and creative. And just like you said in the beginning, you know, this is, this is me. I'm very creative outside of the box thinking, and you certainly have been. I love that you have educated our audience so much in so many different things. I learned a lot today. I know that our audience will and has. So, uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows how to find you. You have a website that's really fun. You even have a little video segment on the taste and, and teaching that. And that is www.creativityfellow.com. That is C-R-E-A-T-I-V-I-T-Y. F-E-L-L-O-W.com. And for those of you who are watching the replay and or listening as a podcast, this is also going to be located in the description of the video and the, the sound. So um, it's been awesome, Gwendolyn. Do you have anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Oh, I lost your sound. <laughs> I don't know. So as you figure that out, though, or maybe you won't, I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to reach Gwendolyn at the creativityfellow.com. Also, that thank you so much for your generous contributions. This show would not be possible without that. And you can donate either Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, or when you do it on our website at www.thewellnessdrivenlifeshow.com, you will be left with an incredible email follow-up that you can keep for your records. So that's a great way to donate to the show. Um, I think you're back. I think I'm back too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say uh, you've had such a great success and I met you before the show and just, I'm so glad that you've been having such a, a, a success with the show. So just best of luck. And, you know, as you continue on April. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, I want to give a highlight out to one of our sponsors, because when we start take, tasting talking about taste. Um, this particular sponsor is about water and water is not all created equal. And as many of you know, it does have different tastes. So Canyon water and people everywhere are discovering the life-changing power of Canyon water. 
please check into that and find out more at www.kinganval.com. That's K-A-N-G-E-N-V-A-L.com. And now I'm going to say thank you again, Gwen, for being one of our incredible guests on the show. So knowledgeable. And I want to just let our audience know, thank you for tuning in. If you happen to be watching the replay, leave your comments. We'll get back to them in the future. And goodbye for now. We will see you tomorrow. Okay. Bye.